The Athletic. The Athletic Women's Football Podcast is proudly partnered with Now. With a Now Sports membership, you can watch the biggest moments from the Women's Super League live. Find out more at nowtv.com. Have their warning, they've had their warning. Here's Lucy Bronze. That is remarkable from Arsenal. Kirby with the ball up towards Hello and welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast in partnership with Now. Coming up, the Foxes shot the Seagulls. Longhurst's late hammer blow in the London derby. And can anything stand in the way of City Now? It's Kate Borsay here with Lindsay Hooper and former Leicester City manager Jonathan Morgan. Hi Jonathan, welcome to the show, your debut appearance. Really pleased to have you on. I guess everyone wants to know what you've been up to. It's been about two months now, hasn't it, since you left Leicester City? Yeah, um, to be fair, it's been it's been quite an enjoyable two months. Um, first time in a long while to have some downtime, just had a period of reflection, sort of had had a look at look at myself, what, what to do next with my life, where to go forward with and... In all honesty, just spending a lot of time with family. It's been really good because my my thirteen year old son's now seen a lot more of me than what he has done in in quite a long while, and he's been enjoying that. And we're just expecting our second child, uh, myself and my partner. So we're Congratulations. just congratulations. Um, yeah. no, thank you. I mean, I'm not sure that my my son's too happy with me being around a lot more now, but uh, obviously, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on his tails a lot more than before. But even if no, he says he doesn't like period. it, he does. Trust me. <laughs> Have you made any decisions, Jonathan, when it comes to future? You say that you've been taking time to think about that. Do you know what direction you'll you'll be going in next? In all honesty, no. I mean, I've gone back into um, the develop, developing of houses, um, which I did obviously whilst I was at Leicester. So I always sort of had that plan B if if the if the worst case scenario happened, such as um, being released. To be honest, there's not really many options in the women's football world at this moment in time to really get excited about. And there's not a lot coming up. So I think it's just more of a game of being patient and wait and see. Just trying to possibly build a little bit more of my media side and just to get keep myself in the in the sort of in the loop at this moment in time. But it's um, like I say, it's been really good to have the time to myself um, and my family. But when that right opportunity comes along, um, I'm sure I'll be on to the agent to to sort of push for me. <laughs> well, you're welcome here anytime. And I had no idea that you had a grand side hustle in property developing. This means, well, it could mean so many things, couldn't it, Lindsay? Yeah. <laughs> Kate's a little bit of a mogul. I, I try and dabble a little bit in, in the property. We, we could certainly do with a few tips, though. What what I was wondering, actually, Jonathan, when you talked about opportunities and potential ones in the future, is at some point, now I wonder whether you think this will happen, at some point, will the league expand? And if it does, we might see once more a few teams being given that golden ticket, if they can back it up with all the resources and investment, to be able to try and get a team either in the championship or in the WSL. Is that the sort of project that you would quite like? Because we saw what you did with Leicester. You went all the way through quite a journey with them. Would you like to pick a team up and do something like that? Yeah, definitely. I think the reality is that's sort of my niche as a coach at this moment in time. I never got to finish off a full season in the WSL to see to see whether I could handle it or whether I could be successful. Obviously, there's there's no secret where we were as when when obviously um, I departed. But I think for me, 
I like to build on it. I like a building project. Um, I like to build from the ground up. I like to set foundations and platforms. I think that I definitely left, obviously Leicester in a much, much better place than when, when I, when I, when I took over there, I'm, I'm very good at that project from that point of view. So if there was another opportunity like that, I think that would be something that would, would sort of take, tickle my fancy, so to speak. And I don't think um, I should jump into a, a top, top, top job yet because I've not, done it at the top level as as seen and I think getting a project that I can build and use my strengths to build another project would be something that I'd be interested in. Interesting well one for us to watch this space. Uh, We'll get on to Leicester's performance in just a moment but first it's time to pick our moments of the WSL with now. Moments of the Women's Super League with now. Watch the big moments from the WSL live with a now sports membership. On the weekend, two matches were postponed because of COVID, but we were still treated to Manchester United scoring three goals in six minutes and a Stanway double. Lots of action to choose from for our moments of the WSL with now. I've gone for Kate Longhurst's goal. And of course, that is an obvious one. But in a London derby to pop up in the 92nd minute and for it to be, of all the players, for it to be Kate Longhurst, who gave the team talk, who's a huge West Ham supporter herself, get her head on that ball and it looped beautifully. It was a nice arch into the into the top of the net. And then her goal celebration as well. I could not resist it, Kate, but what have you gone for? <laughs> it was such a great moment. I've picked the same game, actually. Um, and I've gone for Rosella Ayan for Spurs because of the chances that she was able to create and get on the end of. And also because uh, it was her converting a penalty successfully that temporarily put Spurs into second in the WSL table. And I think that that's a great moment for them to hang on to. They were the better side for most of the game. Obviously, they conceded late and there's an issue with Spurs closing out games. But I wanted to shout out Rosella Ayan for her goal and her chances as well. She was my highlight. Her first goal in 11 months, actually, Kate, I believe. So um, good to give her some some nice plaudits there. Jonathan, how about you? Yeah, maybe I'm a bit biased, but I have to go for Shannon O'Brien's goal against Brighton. Obviously, I know Shannon very well, and she's she works tremendously hard. And I think she's she's been one of the um, standout performers for Leicester City this season. I think she really deserved that moment to, to score the winning goal against Brighton. And obviously, it was such a big win for the club as well. It certainly was. Tell us a little bit about her. What don't we know about Shannon O'Brien that we should, Jonathan? I, I think Shannon, she's not she's not come through the conventional route of um, a lot of players to get to WSL. She's had to work very hard, lots of ups and downs, started off in grassroots, didn't really go through the the academy structure as much as maybe she, she had stints at Villa there, but not as much as other players. Obviously, then she really started to make a name for herself at um, Coventry, first of the Northern FA Women's Northern Prem, and then again, obviously, in the Championship last season. And but during that whole time, she, she worked in the co-op. Um, she she had to work a lot of shifts to obviously keep herself afloat as a player. And but what really the reason why we signed Shannon and was what really really impressed me is that she was training like a full time athlete whilst not being a full-time athlete, if that wow. makes sense. Yeah. You don't get so many of those stories anymore, do you, Jonathan? Players having no. to work in the co-op, for example, especially not in the top flight of women's football. And it's 
Well, it's actually humbling to hear that and what a great story as well. We'll go in depth into the match in just a second, but maybe uh, if you're listening to this, you're nodding your head or your jaw has dropped because you can't believe that we've missed a moment that you thought was the best of the WSL this weekend. You can let us know what you want to give a shout out to on Twitter at Offside Rule Pod and at The Athletic UK. So we've given you the appetizer. Let's get on to the main meal. You can stream the biggest moments of the Women's Super League with now. And it doesn't get much bigger than this, as Manchester City host Arsenal in a titanic clash this Sunday evening. Can City get their own back on the Gunners after a humiliating defeat earlier in the season? Well, to find out, you can grab a Now Sports Day membership for just 9 99 to watch all the live Sky Sports action. For more information, search Now Sports or visit nowtv.com. Before we get into the matches that took place, we should briefly mention the two games that were postponed because of COVID. Those were Everton against Chelsea and Arsenal versus Reading. And it means that neither Chelsea nor Everton have played a competitive match in a month. With the clubs at the top out of action, the bottom clubs decided it was time to put on a show. Now, 6 one. He gets there. And this could be a chance. 6 one. Two, one. seconds Brighton press but Leicester hang on a big big win over Brighton who slipped to a sixth successive defeat Yes, that's right. 2022 seems like the year of upsets already. First Birmingham beating Arsenal and now Leicester have moved off the bottom of the table after beating Brighton 1-0 at the King Power Stadium. In the 54th minute, a speedy Jess Sigsworth raced up the wing and fed an unmarked Shannon O'Brien who slotted the ball into the far corner from close range. Well, it could be a definitive result for Leicester in many ways, Jonathan, in terms of their survival. What did you make of the performance? What was special about Leicester in this game? I mean, I think it's definitely been coming. I think if you even go back to the game against Reading, they had a number of chances that they just didn't take. And I think, in all honesty, they were the better team against Brighton. They created a lot, opened up Brighton at the back quite a number of times. I think Leicester just have that, obviously, never-say-die attitude. Played some good football. They were defensively solid. Don't really think Brighton created too much into the last 15 minutes where they just like to put everybody forward. And I think they just were... They wanted it more. And maybe that's because Brighton are, are sort of stuck in that mid-table area. Six losses, five wins, um, no draws. And it, it can that can obviously take away a lot from for a team. But Leicester were definitely fighting for something and it showed. Like every good level-headed manager, former manager, you'll be looking at your old club and you'll be interested to know what differences are being implemented, how they might be doing things differently. And is there anything you can then take from that, I suppose? From what you understand, what do you make of what Lydia Bedford's done there so far? What what we're seeing is the full, well, the fullback slash wingbacks are starting to become much more prominent in her game, her gameplay. So I think Esme de, bringing in Frey Gregory has obviously been very good because that's allowed to put Esme de Graff back to the fullback wingback position. And for those of you who know Esme, she is by hands down the fittest player I've ever seen, watched or played with. Um, wow, she she can. Her recovery runs are phenomenal. And I think you probably saw a little bit of it against Brighton where she was caught out of position, but she just always manages to get back in. To have a player of of that level of fitness in that position is what you need for a wing-back. So Gemma Perfield, 
for me, is a very consistent player. For me, 7 out of 10 minimum every single week. Great delivery of the ball. Very rarely loses the ball. And I think, whereas what she's definitely changed is rather than having two attacking-minded wing-backs, she's gone for two defensive-minded wing-backs, which we're obviously, which has obviously had a play dividends for her from a defensive stability point of view mm. as well. How about Brighton then here? Because they were going so well. Kate's already alluded to the fact that their mid-table, are we putting it down to a mid-table slump? You know, they know they're safe. There has to be more motivation though there, doesn't there? Because that's six defeats in a row now in all competitions. Yeah, I wonder if Hope Powell's experimenting a bit, if she's safe in that mid-table, so she's trying a few things out. Or, I mean, I mean, this is a good bit of insight from Jesse Parker-Humphreys, set for the offside rule this week. They say that according to Opta, Brighton have failed to create more than one expected goal since October when they played Tottenham. Mm-hmm. They've scored twice across the six games played since. No players individually created more than two expected goals across the whole season. So forget about the mid-table and his hope changing things around a bit. You know, there we can identify one issue which which Hope can address before the end of the season if she wants to turn around this patchy form. Yeah, I agree. I think for me, one of the hardest things to coach is creativity in your players and that instinct in front of goal. I mean, I think even with myself, of Leicester, one of the things that kept being said week after week was you're not scoring enough. The same, the same argument in, and sometimes your players either have that creativity or they don't. And you can work on different patterns of play. You can work on different movements, different techniques as much as you want. But when you're on that pitch, you need to have that player that can just see it naturally, instinctively. That can just find that pass, open up that game, or just know when to take that shot. When I watched Brighton on Sunday. It just felt to me that a lot of their play to their forward line was in up up to about eighty minutes was like back against the goal, so it was quite easy for Leicester to defend. So Daniel Carter was always dropping short to receive it, to receive it to feet, and because obviously then Leicester were going back into a back five from that point of view, they just compacted all the passing lines. I think for me, like that's something that they have to work on because I think if you don't score goals, you're not going to win games. But it's not it's not just as easy as a quick fix. For me, that's probably something where she'll be looking very strongly in the summer market to try and find that right creative player. You spoke about Leicester's defence there, Jonathan, having an easier afternoon and uh, right in the heart of that. And someone we're really getting used to now in a Leicester shirt was Abby McManus. Um, We spoke to Abby earlier on. Abby, thank you very much for joining us. Fresh off the training pitch. Does that mean there's been no time for celebrations after that win at the weekend? No, definitely not. Obviously, Lydia and Brent are in now, and they've definitely got our feet on the on the on the grass straight away, keeping us grounded, which which we need and what we want. A win's a win at the end of the day, and we, we need more than one to stay up. And we've got six points on the board now, and we're we're ready and fighting for the next three that are available. Second one for you in a short space of time. Just tell me what it was like after that uh, crucial win against Brighton, though. One of your relegation rivals, I suppose, really important to take those points. Yeah, definitely. We knew, even during the game as players, we knew last time we played Brighton, we, we, we was unlucky at the end and we conceded like basically the last minute of the game and we was wary of that. We was 1-0 up and we just didn't want to concede again and finally we got the clean sheet and the win. So yeah, the three points was massive. I thought the team did unbelievable. I thought Lydia and Brent had us set up perfectly for, for the game and, and, and finally one of our plans paid off and it felt amazing, like I said. The girls were celebrating at the end like, like like we'd won something, like we'd won the league or something. But it's it's 
it's nice to get the that feeling back of the winning feeling. Like we, we've we've suffered a lot of losses this season so far. So yeah, we've got to celebrate. We, we've got to enjoy that that moment. But we definitely we've just been grafted on the pitch already. So we're ready for the next one. You mentioned Lydia Bedford already. Tell us what it's been like since she has arrived at the club. She will have implemented changes, of course. That's the great thing about having some fresh blood in there. Tell us what she's been doing with you specifically. Yeah, I've enjoyed working with her so far. Um, she's obviously come from England. So being at England myself in the past, I, I, I understand how she works. And, and I think it's good for her to make changes into the team. I think it's a little bit more professional now. She's got a stature around the place, which is good. We know she's the manager and, and I kind of like that. It's, it, it is going to be a very young team and obviously I'm, I'm one of the elder ones now and it's, it's different for me, but she's definitely got us playing a style of football that it's interesting. We're getting results from it. So whatever she's doing, it's working and I just hope she keeps implementing those things. You've spoken about being with England in the past, Abby. Uh, being at a club like Leicester now that's part of a relegation battle, do you, do you think that you can still get on the radar to be in the England team? I'm unsure of the answer to that question. All I know I can do is perform for my team and hopefully the England manager will be watching, but it, we've got to get we've got to get keep more clean sheets. As, as a defender, that's a big thing of what you, what you looked at on. We've got to play a little bit better we've got to play out from the back but I've, I've got to showcase myself as on a club level before I even think of England obviously I, I know the England manager was was there at the game I heard I didn't see her but I'm always aware of that like England was a big thing for me in my career and if I can get back in there amazing if I, if I don't then all I've got to do is fight, fight for Leicester and that's what I'm willing to do. You'd certainly be working hard enough in terms of being in this relegation battle. Am I right in saying that that's not a position that you've been in as a player before? You're at City for for years and years, weren't you? Then on to Manchester United and on loan to Spurs as well. Is this the first time that you faced this kind of challenge in your career? Yeah, definitely. It's the first time I've ever been like, like you know, my my history is Man City, Man United, and a loan spell to Spurs, like you just said. So it's it's not something that I've ever ever been a part of. So. People are looking at me like the elder player for experience, but it's a little bit different. I'm looking at the likes of Georgia Brome. She's been in this position before and she's helping me and I'm trying to help her. And we're all trying to help each other together. And it's 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 interesting. I'm enjoying it. It's keeping us on our toes. How is it different for you in terms of what you've experienced before when you are having to fight for every point? Yeah, I feel it's a little bit daft, but I feel like every game's like an FA Cup final. It's it's a must-win game. We we've got to pick up points at the end of the day, and to, you you need three points. Yeah, we will take one here and there off big clubs, but the 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 end goal is we need three points to keep climbing that table, and that's every single game. So it does kind of feel like an FA Cup final, and sometimes for me, I, I don't want it to be a desperate game. I, I I want to play football. I want to stick to the game plan and not be desperate to, for the three points. I, I always especially at Man City, there's nine minutes in the game. We can score in the 89th minute. That's just the way we were taught. But now I feel a bit more pressure of we need a goal, we need a goal, we need them three points, which it's more like irrational, I guess. But we get in there. Lydia's definitely, like I said before, keeping us our feet on the our feet on the floor and we'll get there in the end, I think. And we just got to take game by game and game plan by game plan. And Lydia gives us enough information for us to go out there and perform and the the training on the grass has, has improved and it's all we can do. Every individual turns up to training and, and gives it their all and that's exactly what we did on Sunday and it, and it paid off. 
I know that um, a lot of your family, well, your whole family, by the looks of it, turned up, didn't they, to watch the Brighton game? <laughs> it's a big what's family. It, <laughs> what's it like having that support behind you? And what do they make of this move to Leicester City as well? I mean, these are the people who've been invested, well, could be even more invested in your career than you. Um, I don't know. But uh, tell us what it's like to have your family there and what they say about it all. Yeah, it was massive. I don't know if you know, but my parents actually live in Spain. so they- Oh, no, I didn't know. They've never really watched me play for Leicester yet, except it's been on the FA player or Sky or wherever. So it was the first time that they was actually at the King Power. So the win was definitely for them. And it was it was nice, to be honest, to look up and see mum and dad. I've not seen them for two years in the crowd. So to get yeah. the win on that day when they was all there was very special for me. You must have missed them so much, Abby. Yeah, loads. Like FaceTime, Zoom, all that. It's it, it's it's nice to still be able to see them, but it's it's different when you can see them have nice meals out and stuff which we've we've enjoyed the weekend together so they've gone back home now but back to work it is for me anyway so can't you merge the two and write a bit of warm weather training into your contract out in Spain (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying don't worry (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about ambitions quickly to wrap this up Abby personal ambitions for you of course we've mentioned you're at City for such a long time broke out of that to go to United bit of time at Spurs and now at Leicester you've got one eye on England as well what else do you want to see from yourself as you enter into I'm not going to say veteran because that sounds really old but you're entering into the senior peak Peak career isn't it Abby (laughs) (laughs) what do you expect from yourself I'm not going to lie, coming to Leicester has been a big challenge for me. It's it's moved me out of Manchester. I've never been out of Manchester. I had the loan spell at Spurs. And to be honest, I spoke to to Rianne Skinner there. And the, one of the biggest reasons why I didn't stay at Spurs was because it was too far away from home for me. Leicester is still an hour and a half. And it sounds silly. People go abroad and stuff. But I've never left Manchester in my life. And I'm 29 now. So it was something that I never wanted to do in my career. Obviously, your career takes you down different paths. And I'm here now. My One of my brothers actually live in Leicester, so I've got family here, which was a big part of the reason why I moved. But for me, personally, coming to Leicester was more about maturing as I'm not a youth player anymore. I'm not a kid. I'm, I, I, I wear the captain's armband here sometimes when Sophie Barker's not on the pitch. So it's about trying to be on the pitch and coach. Like Ashley Plumtree looks to me all the time and I'm usually stood, sat next to, stood next to Steph on the pitch or somebody like Millie Turner, who's who's a little bit more experienced than, than than the younger ones. So for me, it was about maturing as a player, but as an athlete and also growing as a person. It's about what I can do on the pitch and off the pitch to try and help others as well as myself and allow others to help me to become a leader. And I think Lydia's really helping with that at the moment. Brilliant stuff. Well, we are going to watch with bated breath how this season unfolds. You're going to give us those heart in in mouth moments, I'm sure. I hope I hope so. And we're all looking forward to, to Sunday and we can't wait for it. Good, Good luck. luck. Thank you very much. That was us speaking to Leicester City's Abby McManus. Now onto the London Derby. I know you were at this one, Linz, and you would have borne witness to have some of that. It's brilliant. Uh, That was said by lifelong Hammers fan Kate Longhurst as she scored West Ham's stoppage time equaliser against Spurs, the team she says she hates. Uh, The late goal came even though West Ham were down to 10 players as Hawa Sissoko picked up two yellows for some, well, silly challenges, really. The Spurs goal was a Rosella Ayan penalty after Gialli Tang was tripped in the box by Sissoko. All right, I know we've talked a little bit about this one, Jonathan. I mean, Spurs were the better team in this game, but full credit for West Ham. 
and to Kate Longhurst for taking the opportunity and rescuing a point for themselves. Yeah, uh, big, big moment in games and you need that composure in that that thought process to still believe in yourself that you can get some thinking. I mean, I'm just looking at the stats here, 19 shots to, to six in favour of Spurs. But I think Kate Longhurst, you saw that, I think you said earlier that she's just such a, she's a big person for West Ham. She's a big personality. She eats, eats breathes and sleeps West Ham. And you can see what it meant to her when she scored that goal as well. It's fast becoming my favourite derby in women's football, Jonathan. I've really bought into this. Um, I spoke to Howa Suzoko earlier on in the week. Uh, what a joy, by the way, to interview she was. I know it wasn't her evening and she did wave to me from the tunnel, actually. Uh, oh afterwards. <laughs> You're like, um, I don't I, want any part in this whatsoever. Yeah, <laughs> I sort of gave her a nod as if to say, you might have better days. But um, she, she clearly enjoyed watching Kate Longhurst uh, score that 92nd minute head but wow you know when you hear about characters like that in the dressing room Jilly Flaherty clearly the captain but Kate Longhurst because of the affiliation that she's got with West Ham decided that prior to the previous match against Spurs she would do the team talk she spoke to me about that and then Ollie Harder revealed that she did another one which might have even eclipsed the last talk goodness knows where she's getting all of this motivational speaking from but it does help you buy into it, Jonathan. I think the women's game really yeah. needs this, doesn't it? Yeah, I think you need these type of games. You need these derbies because, number one, it's fantastic to be able to market it, market a game like that and it builds the interest and it brings more people to watch the game, whether it's over TV or whether it's in the actual stadium. And obviously having Sky now being able to put this on such a bigger platform makes such a big difference. I think also what's really important for me is... Is for the average spectator to see how much these games mean to the players. So, like we said, with Katie Longhurst doing doing the team talk, um, the way that she scored the goal, the way what it meant to what it meant to the players after the game had finished and stuff like that. I love the fact that Kate Longhurst said that she wouldn't sleep that night thinking about the goal, and that is, you know, pretty much a veteran player still saying she gets so excited by those <laughs> moments. She just knew that she wasn't going to sleep. Come on, though, Lynn, spill the beans. How is Sissoko? I mean, her second yellow was for dissent. It was silly, and it was lax as well in terms of discipline. And I'm sure Ollie Harder, you know, although they rescued a draw from it, I'm sure Ollie Harder won't have been pleased with the manner in which Sissoko got sent off. But what's she like? Because you said it was quite an interview. Give us some insight. There will be a feature coming out uh, next month and it's going to be around the world of cooking because she loves to cook. (laughs) So we'll be talking health, nutrition, all those sorts of things. But she was just brilliant. What I would say in this occasion is it it was silly. It was it was a moment. And I guess we all have that at the top levels of sport, which we've watched over many, many years where we've seen those best athletes just lose it for a moment. I think after giving the penalty away, there's no way she should just so soon after that be kicking the ball away after a challenge in fact Kate Longhurst said to me she thought she was at fault for that challenge just before Suzoko got sent off but I did put it to Ollie afterwards as well because on the opening day of the season you may record that Suzoko got a red card in that game and he felt it was very harsh he didn't feel it was as harsh in this one but what I think everyone was in agreement on and I was checking out socials as well and, and just fans watching at the time from the moment the game kicked off the referee Amy Fern set a very 
very low benchmark for what would be a yellow card. And and I mean, a couple of decisions as well, very questionable. We couldn't work out what the yellow card yeah. was for. So I think when you start in that fashion, you have to accordingly, don't you, Jonathan? I did ask Rihanna about this as well. And she said, look, our team didn't have a problem with discipline, so we were fine. But, but you have to, when you see that a, a referee's set it at that level, you have to speak to your team, especially in a derby at half time and say, just be careful, don't you? Yeah, I, I mean, I might be a little bit controversial here because if referees can be obviously a bit of a sticking point for coaches, can't they? And like, look, I'll be honest with you, I can't ref. <laughs> if I was in the middle of that park, the pressure you under with all, every, you got people shouting at you from all angles, and I totally get that. But I just think one of the things that used to really frustrate me is that I think sometimes, just sometimes, maybe the referees don't realise how much is on the line for these players and staff members. And I think that the FA need to support these referees a lot more in, I think, bring them up to scratch a bit more. And don't get me wrong, I think they're trying really hard and the referees are trying to do as best as they can. But it is a full-time league. And correct me if I'm wrong, there are a lot of non-full-time referees in that league. And that's there not are, their fault. I mean... The, the thing that I would say is they have bought them under the PGMOL and they're clearly on mm. on a pathway to, to trying to improve that, yeah. Plan is for them to no, go full-time, I... isn't it? So, I, I mean, I mean, these are age-old women's football conversations and they aren't just yeah. exclusive to women's football, but obviously we have them on a slightly different kind of level. I'm going to move the conversation on because we've got some more <laughs> games to cover uh, before we get you too worked up, Jonathan. Next up. <laughs> Next up, let's head to Aston Villa versus Manchester City. Yeah, it seemed like we could be glimpsing the return of the Manchester City of old. A Georgia Stanway brace, Vicky Lasada's tap-in. It all helped the Sky Blues get a 3-0 win over Aston Villa. Well, the second goal was a Horton to bronze to white to Lasada mix. I've spoken to a few people, Jonathan, about the return of bronze and Horton. And yes, clearly it's made a huge difference to the side. And I'm interested to see what you think. But a lot of people have said they weren't playing that badly prior. I know Kaz Carney said, yeah, you know, results didn't go their way, but they were playing this lovely style of football already. How much credit do you put down to having these stalwarts of the game back in the side? Bringing in those type of players back is is, is lovely for Gareth, isn't it? And I know speaking to him before how much he was desperate to get them back in. Not so much from the style of play point of view, because I agree they were playing some good football before. But I think from a leadership point of view, he, he just he said like he just lacked that little bit of um, leadership, that hard, that tough talking person on the pitch that he needed from time to time when the games went when the games started to get a bit tough. Mm. We've talked before on this podcast about Gareth Taylor maybe being guilty of of not having a plan B and sticking too much to his original game plan. But City have now had four league wins in a row. They've won every WSL game since being beaten by Chelsea 4-0 in mid-November. So that tells, you know, the story of this doesn't just suddenly happen when Lucy Bronze and then Steph Horton come back onto the scene. What has happened, though, is Georgia Stanway being back to her best. Jonathan, Lucy Bronze yeah. slotting in means that Georgia no longer has to fill in. She's back in her natural position in midfield. Four goals in the last three games, She's a joy to watch. I mean, this 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 reminds you why she's so important for England as well. But a word from you on how how this team's starting to click with players in their natural position again. Yeah, I mean, firstly with Georgia Stanway, I think she's she's an example for every youngster to take take on board very seriously because 
every time you speak to someone different about her, no one has a bad word to say about her as a professional. She's always asking questions. She's very inquisitive. She's always looking to learn. And for me, there's not enough of the younger players coming through that understand how important that professional mindset is. I think they all think it's a given when they make it into a WSL squad. But I'm I'm, I'm pleased to see her back in a natural position because she's very creative. Like we were saying earlier, you need those players that have that natural instinct going forward. And she does. Yeah, and City getting back to their best, Georgia Stanway back at her best, getting all of uh, the players back from injury as well. That spells bad news for Spurs who drop those points against West Ham because you feel like they're just going to carry on climbing up the table, don't you? But let's talk about Villa very briefly before we move on. I know that we've spoken already about the fact that they are being sucked into this relegation battle. What can Carla Ward do then, Jonathan, at the moment to, to try and halt this bad run of form? I mean, so obviously I've watched a lot of Villa's games over the season naturally because other than Birmingham, they were always sort of our next closest person, next closest team along with Redden to look at. Obviously Redden have picked up performances and gone the opposite way whilst Villa have dropped. I just get the feeling that at this moment in time, it's more about Carla Ward's sort of awardy sort of thought process, it's more about containing teams and looking for the odd draw and rather than going for victories at this moment in time. I think she realises she has the upper hand by being on the 10 points. And the one thing with Wardy is that she plays percentages very well. So she, she knows what she has and she'll want, to, she'll want to keep that rather than lose that. So I know she's obviously had issues with injuries in COVID recently as well. But I, I just think that it's a hard one because once you get into that slump, it's you can be playing well, but you're just not getting the look of the green. And I'm sure that's what she's saying to her players. And it's, it's really your bigger players need to step up your older, more experienced players need to drag drag the team through that that moment. And a lot of people put it on the manager from that point of view, but you need your senior players now to to really sort of galvanise that team as, along with the coaching staff. I, I still think they'll be safe. I still think that once they get going again, they've got enough good players in there to, to pick up a few more victories over the course of this season. Whereas with Birmingham, you don't necessarily get that feeling yet. But on the other side, you, they've brought in Marcus Biggin up like in, and obviously Carter as well, who are who who are obviously very experienced individuals, and you don't know what impact they're having. But it will take time. It's whether there's enough time for it to really set in to be consistent for them. Well, let's pick up on Birmingham then. Our final game to cover, and uh, well, five's becoming the magic number for Manchester United, isn't it? As they got their second five nil win in a row, comprehensively beating Birmingham. Katie Zellum chipped in the first. Leo Golton poked in the next two for three goals in six minutes. Then Ella Toon's long range strike bounced off Birmingham keeper Emily Ramsey for United's fourth, and an Alessia Russo diving header was the fifth nail in the coffin. Manchester United really seem to have started the year off with a blast as much as, you know, Birmingham had that great result last week. They just didn't have an answer at all, did they, for Manchester United, who were clinical in this game, Jonathan? Yeah, I think like it was 15 shots to one. I watched that game, actually, and they started so fast as well, considering they didn't play last week. And I was thinking to myself, are they going to be a little bit rusty from not having that that one game, from having so much time off? They came out of the blocks quick. They wanted to make sure Birmingham knew straight away that this wasn't going to be another an Arsenal scenario for them. It was going to be that you're going to have to defend for your life if you're going to keep us out. I think for me, Mark Skinner's now started to implement his philosophy a lot more within the team. And you can start to see that his style's coming through. They're playing definitely through the lines a lot more and they're picking up the pockets of space, which is, 
I think it's revolutionised Ella Toon's game. She's had a fantastic season because of it. But I think that, I still think it's going to be, the top three is going to be between Manu and Man City. I know there's only two points in it now, but I think Manu might just be able to hold on this year. Let's look at the other side of the coin then to that conceding three goals in six minutes patch. One of the observations I would make is also you can compare this to the brilliant performance they put in against Arsenal where they got in front. I remember Kate last week saying that I thought that second goal was so important because it gave them that breathing space. I think this is a team that struggles once they're behind and I can't see them getting back into many games from a losing position. Uh, what does that say about the mentality here? Yeah, I agree. But I also, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to quote what Darren Carter said at the end of the game, and, and, and this is probably one for you, Jonathan, that they were just too passive. It was a really different side to the, to the side that met Arsenal. So almost comparing them is is kind of a bit chalk and cheese for me because Birmingham, they were just too passive right from the very beginning. There was no way back into it. They gave Manchester United too much space. And as you were saying, Jonathan, Manchester United was so quick. Birmingham didn't anticipate that speed at all and just couldn't get near enough to them to close them down. Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, you have to again commend Man U. I think they watched what Birmingham did against Arsenal. And I think Arsenal underestimated Birmingham, if I'm, if I'm totally honest, with the way they started the game. Very sloppy, very slow. Whereas Man U came out of the blocks extremely quickly. Then Birmingham became a little bit of deer in headlights. So all of a sudden, every time you look up, there's a red player in your face. All of a sudden, your passes go astray. You start just to boot the ball long because you just want to get it away. And you then can't get out your game or what you've worked on that week for that game. I'd agree with Darren that they did go a little bit passive, but I'd also, I mean, not many coaches will probably say this, but I also think the Arsenal game would have taken a lot out of them. There was a massive, massive performance. And one of the things that I learned very, very quickly coming to the WSL was we had a lot of good success against WSL teams last season um, in the championship. That's great, but you're playing them once every six to eight weeks. When you're playing teams every single week, it's a different ball game. And for me, Man U probably got Birmingham at the right time because I, I could never see them putting in two performances like they did because they would have they would have played 150% to get that 2-0 win against Arsenal. And to do that again would have been a big ask. You're listening to The Athletic Women's Football Podcast. If you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get a third of a subscription right now by heading to theathletic.com forward slash WSL pod. You're listening to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast with me, Lindsay Hooper, Kate Borsay and Jonathan Morgan. The big transfer news this week is that Arsenal signed Sweden international Stina Blackstenius. We teased this last week. It actually happened, was signed on the dotted line. She was instrumental in Sweden's silver medal at the Olympics last summer and was the top scorer in the Swedish top flight in 2021. So both of you, how do you think this impacts Arsenal? We've got Viv Miedemar there. Adeval's already mentioned that he might have to play her a little deeper as a number 10. Is that the way that you see her slotting into the side, Jonathan? If you are going to, you are going to have to move, obviously, Miedema around a little bit to make it work. But for me personally, I, see, I'm, I'll go down the approach where letting them compete for the for their preferred positions and play the best. I think Miedema offers so much for Arsenal. And look, he knows his players better than myself, but... Again, the one thing I've learned very quickly in the WSL, sometimes putting round pegs in square holes just doesn't work. And 
hopefully that's not the case for Arsenal, uh, if that's what he's going to do. But again, it's another fantastic signing for them. It's going to build competition. They've got a ferocious front line and um, obviously we'll see how he deploys them. Just a very quick one from me on this. You know, Viv Miedemar doesn't necessarily have to be an out-and-out striker. She's actually fine with dropping back a little bit deeper. She's actually a very unselfish player. In other news, Leah Williamson has extended her contract at Arsenal. Steph Horton's renewed her contract at Manchester City. Uh, With players of that calibre locked in at Arsenal and City, they're going to be looking, aren't they, to pick up silverware. So speaking of which, on Monday, it was the best FIFA awards. Yes, the music's piping up there. I've nipped off, changed into my ball gown and here I am to announce, in case you hadn't heard it already. Uh, Women's Coach of the Year was awarded to Emma Hayes for leading Chelsea to -to back-to-back WSL titles and the Champions League final. I loved looking at the images of Emma Hayes. She had a hand over her mouth. She was in absolute shock when that was announced. Brilliant moment and congratulations to Emma from us. And Barcelona and Spain's Alexia Puteas beat Sam Kerr to Best FIFA Women's Player of the Year award, adding to her Ballon d'Or, of course. Best goalkeeper went to Lyon's Christiane Endler. And Christine Sinclair also won Best FIFA Special Award for being the highest scorer in men's and women's international football. Take a bow, Christine Sinclair. And all of that, I think, Kate, we can accept. But let's let's talk about this. It was the FIFA FIFA Pro World 11, which was announced on Monday. Now, it features WSL players Bronze, Bright, Ericsson and Miedemar and was apparently voted for by 3,675 professional women's football players. But we're all finding that a bit of a head scratch because there are players in there that have hardly played. Lucy Bronze. Yeah, Lucy Bronze being one. She was out for five months. I'm sure she'll be happy with another name check. But yeah, it seems a bit bizarre, doesn't it? No Barcelona players in there at all. And they've been the best team on the planet. Champions League winners. But also, how do you have Pateas winning the best women's player of the year award for FIFA and then not being in the in the 11 <laughs> and which the Ballon d'Or it's just bizarre insane, isn't it two US players in there I mean was anyone watching the Olympics um Carly I don't Lloyd know that has just not played enough I mean barely yeah th- this this is a bit of a head scratcher isn't it Jonathan and people have been saying yeah. well it's just access basically the well over three and a half thousand players who voted for these just basically may not have seen enough football and so therefore have gone route one they've just gone with the players who they've heard of I mean Alex Morgan's in there as well of course she had that time at Spurs plays over in the US but you just you don't put her in your world 11 do you no not even close to be honest I don't think she really did much when she was at Spurs but again I still think it shows you that there's still a bit of a way to go with the women's game in terms of accessibility, um, in terms of broadcasting and allowing more people to see more players play. Um, I I don't know, Jonathan, though. I, I agree with what you're saying if it was voted for by the public. But I'm sorry, I'm going to have yeah. to weigh in here and say these, if this is professional footballers that are voting, are you telling me that they don't know who are the best players in the world right now? They're not keeping an eye on other leagues, potential moves in the future. I would find that astonishing if they don't know. Do women's footballers, are we saying they've got no interest outside of where they're playing? I wouldn't say they haven't got any interest outside where they're playing. I think... I think if you go to speak to the average professional footballer 
I can only base it on obviously what I've experienced. And I will talk to them about a player in a different country that, that you're looking at. Not Especially younger players, not all of them know. Um, well, it's also accessing it as well, isn't it? You know, yeah. how often um, can our top flight players watch Juventus in action? This is what I mean. For it's, example, it's mainly it's through e- the Champions League, isn't it, that they can see? Yeah. It's not easy. To, that's what I mean. So it's not easy still to get all that coverage for them to, to follow players. So don't get me wrong, they will know who all these players are. So they will know about all the Barcelona players and stuff, but they won't necessarily know to the extent of how good they are because if you don't get to see it, you can't you can't make an opinion on it. And, and it, naturally, you do go back to your default of what you know. I think, don't get me wrong, the game is moving at a phenomenal pace and it's definitely moving in the right direction. I think these are just some of the time lags that just are naturally occurring. It's, the, it's, like, it's like, because the game's moved on so much now, there is a time lag of, Obviously, the whole continent coming together as one to like learn what other clubs and other countries are doing as well. So, I, I think in the next couple of years, though, there'll be so much more coverage. There'll be so many, especially with the way TV's going, all the streaming sites and all that sort of stuff. We need a European football show, don't we? We need better yeah. access to the US game and we need a proper European football show. Well, look, speaking of Puteas and Barcelona women, the Champions League holders have sold out the new camp for the El Clasico Champions League quarterfinal match against Real Madrid. 85,000 tickets sold in under a week. Who says no one wants to watch women's football, eh? You're listening to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Well, back to the UK and time to have a look at what's coming up. On Wednesday evening, we have the Continental Cup quarterfinals. Man City play Bristol City. There's Arsenal against Man United. Spurs face championship leaders Liverpool under Matt Beard, who've been going very well. And West Ham are up against Chelsea, who are going to be playing for the first time since mid-December. And in the WSL on Sunday, Manchester City host Arsenal for the game live on Sky. That, well, it is a big one, isn't it? Brighton may have a tough time bouncing back from the Leicester defeat as they play Chelsea. Manchester United face Spurs, which, of course, will be key in the battle for third. While Leicester's game against Aston Villa could sway the relegation battle. Elsewhere, Reading play Birmingham and West Ham face Everton. Something you're most looking forward to. Which one, Jonathan Morgan, is your pick of the fixtures at the weekend. I mean, as much as I want to say Leicester Villa, because obviously it's a Midlands derby as well, but for me, I think the Man City Arsenal game is so intriguing and there's so much at stake, not just position, but obviously like bragging rights, obviously Man City to see whether they, they have turned the corner, but also so many pressure on Arsenal. They, they obviously lost to Birmingham a couple of weeks ago. They don't want to go and lose to Man City. They're still in a title race with Chelsea and who knows if Man City beat um, Arsenal, it sort of pulls them, drags them into the title challenge a little bit from afar. So you just, you never know really, do you? One thing you can say is it's going to be a game that Chelsea will be as interested in as anyone. They they must be watching this. Maybe they're going to have a viewing party because they could be celebrating. <laughs> if there's a draw in this game, they're celebrating. If Man City win, they're celebrating. So it's a big one for, for Chelsea to be watching as well. It certainly is. Well, let's wrap things up there, shall we? It's all we've got time for on the Athletic Women's Football Podcast for this week. As we said, you can get in touch with us at The Athletic UK and at Offside Rule Pod. Don't don't forget to check out uh, the women's football coverage on uh, the Offside Rule Pod website and on The Athletic as well. Don't forget to download, rate and subscribe. Thank you very much, Jonathan, for your time. We hope you've enjoyed your debut performance. No, definitely. Thanks for having me. And um, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on air with you guys. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. 
You're welcome back anytime. Yeah, from Jonathan, myself and Lindsay. Catch you next time. The Athletic Women's Football Podcast is proudly partnered with NOW. With a NOW Sports membership, you can watch the biggest moments from the Women's Super League live. Find out more at nowtv.com. The Athletic.